Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first live stream of AWS Bytes. My name is Luciano, and today I'm joined by Owen. So, hello, everyone. And hello. Yeah, if, if it's, this is the first time for you hearing or seeing AWS Bytes, what AWS Bytes is, is basically a podcast about AWS where we try to share all the things that we learn and discover about AWS. And so far, we have been doing it in the form of a, like a regular podcast. We have a website, awsbytes.com. You can go there and watch all the previous episodes. And in every episode, we basically try to answer different kinds of questions about AWS. For instance, we have been talking about all the things that you need to, do, to know when doing JavaScript with serverless on AWS, or we compare Terraform and CloudFormation. We, we have a bunch of different topics. And by any means, feel free to let us know which one did you like the most, which ones would you like to see in the futures, and things like that. But for today, we want to try something a little bit different. We actually want to try to do a little bit of live coding and actually show what could be the experience of building a product on AWS. And the product that we have in mind for today is something that looks like a, a clone of something like Dropbox transfer or maybe WeTransfer, where basically the idea is that you need to share a file with somebody else. Let's find the easiest possible way to do that, or the fastest maybe possible way to do that, which is basically let's upload it somewhere and then have a URL that it's somehow secret and we can take that URL, share it with the person we want to share the file with, and they can use the same URL to download the file that we just uploaded. So the idea is that basically we uh, are going to build a service like that using AWS services. So probably we're going to be using things like S3 to store the files. We're probably going to be using signed URLs to, to be able to upload and download things. And we might be using API Gateway because probably we want to turn that into an API that then we can use from maybe a CLI, maybe a front end. So we have some kind of rough ideas, but it's very important for you to contribute to the conversation and suggest maybe different things that we, we could be doing. So for today, our goal is to, we're going to be streaming for about one hour, I think. And our goal is to try to get as far as we possibly can to just to build the first MVP, where what we expect to do is literally to have one Lambda that allows us to upload to S3 and give us back a URL that can be used to download the file. So um, yeah, anything else you, you want to add, Owen? No, it's really good to be able to get started on this. And yeah, let's let's do this. Let's see how we get on, how far we get today. And then we can start talking about maybe where we can take it next. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So I'm going to start by sharing my screen. Actually, first of all, I'm going to mention that we already set up a repository, which is the one we are going to be using mm -hmm. um, today. And I'm going to be posting it on YouTube. But if you are following from Twitter or LinkedIn, you can find it at awsbytes slash wishare.click, which is the name we selected for this project. I'm actually going to see if I can show it on screen. So let me share my screen here. Okay, this is the repository. So this is the URL, awsbytesweasher.click. Right now, it's pretty much an empty repository. We only have a little bit of readme 
and an architecture diagram that I'm going to be trying to describe. Cool. Actually, yeah. let me show it here, which is a little bit bigger. So basically, the idea is that, as we said, we want to have a quick way for Alice and Bob to share one particular file through the internet. So the idea is that we can give Alice a, basically a web server where she can upload the file. And then she will get back a URL that once shared with Bob allows Bob to download that same file. Now, if we zoom in a little bit more on how we are thinking to implement all of that right now, at least for version one, is that we have an API gateway that gives Alice a particular API endpoint. On this API endpoint, we can do a post. And this post basically, uh, what it's going to do is going to trigger a Lambda. And this Lambda is going to um, effectively create a pre-signed URL on S3 that is going to allow Alice to upload the file itself. So the first step is that basically with this request, Alice gets um, uh, an S3 upload, and then she can use that S3 upload pre-signed URL to actually put the file into the bucket. But at the same time, with the upload mm -hmm. URL, we also generate a download URL that is going to be ready to be shared as soon as the upload is completed. So the first step is actually giving back two things, the upload mm -hmm. URL and the download URL. So at that point, Alice can upload the file and then just share the download URL with Bob. Uh, I think there might be different ways to implement that. This is just one way that we came up with, and this is the way we, we think we are going to go for today. So if you have other ideas, definitely let us know, and we are open to, to discuss alternatives and maybe pros and cons of different alternatives. Yeah, the URLs will not be pretty. I, I thought maybe we yeah. should pre-warn people, right? These URLs will not be very user-friendly, but don't worry, future episodes will take care of that. Yeah, absolutely. I see we have a comment here in the chat by Abu. Welcome to the stream. I was just discussing this idea with my colleague as a side project, and now I'm seeing this. Sorry, we are going to spoil the side project. But I mean, if you had <laughs> different ways of, you were thinking about different ways to implement this, by any means, chime in and yeah, we can chat about features. that. Yeah, also different features for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine like we're going to build this and eventually we we have the name we share that click. So this is the domain name we're going to use for this deployment. But I can imagine other people would maybe take this and use it as a way to store files for themselves, to share files between different devices and have it as their own personal Dropbox um, using their own AWS infrastructure, right? And uh, avoid having to go to Google or Dropbox for, for their file storage. So. Yeah, it's, it's probably an opportunity here for us to uh, all have our own forks and uh, customized deployments of this application. And I see that there is another comment on YouTube by Italo. Sorry, I cannot put this one on screen, but he's basically asking, should we try to rebuild this thing and then update you on the progress? Absolutely, yes. Feel free yeah, to great. redo it, copy paste our code, try different things because Again, in AWS, there are millions of ways to build anything, and you can use different services. So it will be interesting to also see what other people will think about how to solve this particular problem. OK, so let's maybe start to look at the code. And this is a very kind of vanilla repository. There is literally nothing. 
So maybe we can start by doing a little bit of just creating the, the kind of the structure for the project. So we are going to be using uh, Node.js as a kind of runtime of choice or JavaScript. So let's start by doing an init of the um, project. So I just run um, npm init dash y, which is basically just doing like a default package JSON. And we can see the result here. It's uh, actually taking some stuff from the repository, which is pretty cool. But other than that, uh, nothing special. One thing that we want to do is we want to start to organize this as a monorepo because we eventually want to create an API, the one we just described, but also some ways to interact with this API, probably a CLI application and maybe also a front-end. So it might be interesting to, to put all the same things in the same repository just for convenience. And actually recent versions of NPM make that very easy because we can just create a new folder and call it backend, for instance. And then we can just say that that's a new workspace. And actually this is an array if I remember correctly, and we just need to say backend is one item. Now at this point, we can go into backend and do another npm init y, and this is how we are creating sub projects inside our monorepo. But also we want to configure a bunch of other things. For instance, we want to add a license, we want to add a git ignore file, and there are some tools that I really like. For instance, I think it's there is one called uh, Git Ignore. Git Ignore, which we can say I think Node.js, and it should give us a default Node.js Git Ignore. Let's see if mm -hmm. my memory is good. It is not. It gave <laughs> us an empty one. <laughs> okay, so let's see if we just say Git Ignore if it allows us to select. Okay, git okay, types. Okay, you got to types. Yeah. And what do we have? Do we have node? Node with just one node. word. Okay, fair enough. Cool. Now oh, we've that, got something more like that it. looks a little bit better with a bunch of yeah default stuff. Okay, and another thing we can do is MPX. I think it's called license, and we can select one license what do we want do we want mit or something else sounds good to me okay let's keep it super free i, I don't have a yeah i think that's good and now we have I, a I license know about either of those tools i like it cool so the next thing that we might want to do is uh, eslint i guess Oh yeah, so we're going to write all this stuff in JavaScript. That's the plan, right, Luciano? Yeah. Okay, it's okay to proceed. Now, our mileage might vary because they keep changing this command. It's really updated very often, but it's kind of a guided procedure to pick kind of a default or a starting configuration for ESLint. And it's very convenient because, of course, we don't need to remember by heart all the different options or presets and things like that. So we want to check syntax, find problems, and enforce code style. We want to use 
JavaScript modules or CommonJS? I don't remember if we decided on that. We're using, yeah, I think when we were trying to get prepared for this, we were using ESM modules. So. Okay, so should be... Let's give it a go. Yeah, let's try to be very brave and and go with ESM. So yeah, we are, are some in, interesting corner cases and edge cases you encounter with them, but maybe that'll be part of the fun. We have also a question by Mauro on YouTube saying, isn't PMPM usually used for monorepo? Honestly, I don't know. I know that PMPM is just a faster version of NPM because it does things mm. more in parallel, but I never use it. So don't know. <laughs> Feel free to try it and let us know if you if you find any meaningful difference in terms of how to manage the monorepo as well. Yeah. Okay, so I'm here still we trying can... to figure out how NPM workspaces works, especially for serverless yeah. projects. And maybe we're, this is something we can deal with when we start adding third-party dependencies into different services mm -hmm. in the repo and figure out how to package them. Yeah, exactly. I also use it for very simple cases. So there might be edge cases that we haven't discovered yet, but the mm. gist of it should be that if you run npm install at the top level of the project, it should go inside every workspace and install all the necessary dependencies. So it's convenient that way that you can just do npm mm. install at the top level. And then it should also give you a way to import from packages in the same monorepo. So for instance, we could have a utils package and mm. we could be reusing that utils package in front-end, CLI, back-end, and things like that. So it gives you a way to do this kind of cross import uh, and your code is automatically linked. So if you do changes, you don't need to publish those changes are independent libraries to, to actually use the changes in the rest of the code. Mm. And then you have other uh, advantages, like you can run uh, a command in all workspaces. For instance, if we do tests, you could be running NPM tests in all workspaces and yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. So it's it's very, very simple implementation. I think, for instance, if you are used to use Lerner, Lerner has a lot more features. But at the same time, I don't think we need anything fancy right now. Okay, do we want to use TypeScript or not? I'd say probably no. So I'm going to go with no, but we might re revisit that decision at some point later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do we want to run our code for now? Just Node.js. Popular style guide. Now, do we want semicolons or not? I'll go with, I'm, I just defer to the popular opinion here. So I, I'm easy. I always adapt because otherwise it ends up in a big bike shedding, bike shedding discussion. Okay, let's see if anyone Okay, is it possible to zoom VS Code a little bit? Yes, it should be possible. Let me know if this is better. So, okay, I'm gonna go with standard just because it's not really a standard, yep. but I like to pretend it is a standard. Sounds good. Uh, configuration in JavaScript, and now yes. NPM, oh, nice, now you can pick. Okay, interesting. This is a new option I haven't seen before, that now you can pick your favorite package manager. We are using npm, so let's stick with it. Perfect. And this should have created a default um, ESLint configuration for us. Now, another thing that we should have been doing is type modules. Mm, good one. Yeah. Because this that one allows us yeah. to use uh, ESM 
uh, everywhere without having to call the files uh, cjs or mjs so every js file will automatically default to uh, ecmascript modules which means that we'll need to rename this one cjs because this is like a special case where it needs to use module.export Okay, so do we want to do anything else in terms of bootstrapping the project? Let's see. I think from a JavaScript point of view, that's okay, right? N next, we're on to the more AWS and serverless specific. Okay, so I'm going to do a commit with what we have so far. Okay, that sounds good. So we have created a nearest lint, git ignore, license, backend, package lock, and packages. Perfect. Okay, now you should be able to see these changes in the repository. Okay, so I suppose the next step is based on what we saw here. We need to have a way to create all this infrastructure and to start to write the code for our Lambda. And this is also another topic where there are lots of different options. But I suppose one of the most famous ones is the serverless framework. So let's actually show it here. Serverless framework. Serverless.com. So this is basically a way to, it's a framework that you can install and use it in your project, but allows you to define all the infrastructure in a YAML file and then allows you to deploy that infrastructure together with your code. And every time you do changes, behind the scene is actually using CloudFormation. So you can actually deploy changes incrementally and you don't have to worry too much about how do I replicate these changes in different environments. You just do deploy yeah. and it's just going to make sure that your infrastructure converges to the final state that you currently have in your code base. I don't know if I'm describing that well enough, but yeah, we're going to see it in action. YAML will tell a thousand words when we um, exactly when we get going with our serverless.yaml. All will become clear. So hopefully. if I remember correctly, oh yeah, we also have Diren that is saying no semicolons, please. So I'm glad we picked that option. <laughs> That's about it there. Okay so... okay, so we can bootstrap our serverless project with the generator. That's our first step, is that it? Yeah, remind me the command because I'm not sure I remember. Okay. I think there is an NPX, so NPX SLS. It seems to be, yeah, NPX SLS or NPX serverless. And then it's the command is create. And then we want to do, uh, we want to pick a template. So it's, oh, template. it's, yeah, dash dash template, or I think you can also use dash T, single dash T. And it's AWS dash Node.js. Like this, right? Yeah, and you're within the root. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Actually, you so want to be in the backend directory, I think, for this. Yeah, exactly. We? So let's uh, copy all of this. Although you can pass a directory, but I don't know what, what the path is off the top of my head. Let's, yeah, or let's the do the same case. thing. Okay. Okay, Perfect. now you've got um, a serverless.yaml that is much bigger than you need. So you can start trimming. So le let's look what we have here. Okay, we get a bunch of comments that we're going to remove just to keep things minimal. So the mm -hmm. service is being called backend. 
just it's just taking the name of the folder. We could rename that probably let's call it we share uh, click or we share or WC. WC sounds a bit funny. Let's call it we share <laughs> backend. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then this is basically saying that we use the version of serverless framework number three, version three. There are different versions and the YAML that you, you write can change a little bit depending on which version to use. So we want mm -hmm. to use the latest. Now here is using by default node 12. We want to use node 16. Do we need to specify the region here or is it going to infer it by what we have? Oh, we lost Owen. I think I'm going to specify the region here. Okay, we lost Owen for a second. Owen is back. I'm back. I, okay. I back buttoned on the browser. <laughs> you ejected yourself. Is Do you remember if this one is mandatory or, or not? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I always specify it because I want to be explicit. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I, I'm guessing it is, but I don't know. Maybe somebody yeah, knows yeah. the answer to that, and they can tell us. Yeah, and I think it's maybe a, a good default because if different people are contributing to this project and they might have different default regions, probably this is going to be making sure that everyone uses the same region at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you might make this configurable, but I think it's good to make to be clear now. Okay, now here we have an example about how to add permissions. I'm going to ignore all of this because we are going to be using probably a plugin that allows us to do this in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's get rid of that. So uh, actually, I'm going to delete all of this. Then we can also define environment variables, which we don't need right now. And we can define which files needs to be included or excluded. I don't think we need to do any of that, right? Yeah, we don't need that right now. No, if we really want to trim things down later, we can, but generally it's not needed. Okay, so now this is the interesting part. Um, this is very generic, like what's the name of the service, what's the framework? what is the provider this is actually interesting because serverless framework can work not just with aws but also with other providers like azure or uh, google cloud i believe so here we are basically configuring more kind of generic project level settings we want to say we want to use aws as a provider we want to specifically use node.js for everything that is like compute like lambda functions and the region is this one and this is where we start to specify Lambda functions. And by default, there is like an hello function. And we can see that it's also created an handler.js. So this is basically saying we want to have a function called hello where the code lives inside handler, which is handler.js, dot hello. Mm -hmm. So this is, we need to change this because by default it's using common.js, but you can have kind of a starting point for your Lambda function. And I think that's all. Then here we have a bunch of other examples. We have outputs and other resources. Yeah. Do we want to create, um, 
do we want to start from the function or do you think it's best to, to do something else before? Um, I, how about starting with the bucket since this is the center of our architecture? That's a good point. Yeah. So let's Maybe we that. can even deploy the bucket and then mm -hmm. start writing the function. Okay. We can probably leave the hello world function there and deploy it just to show. Yep. How a function is created. So resources is basically a more generic thing, which is actually behind the scene is going to use cloud formation. So here we're actually going to be using mostly cloud formation syntax, while yeah. functions is kind of a higher level idea. Mm. It kind of makes it a little bit easier to create cloud formation resources. It's way less verbose. It's going to take a bunch of defaults for you. But I think the first time you see this, it might be a little bit confusing because at the end of the day, they are both creating a, a bunch of cloud formation resources. Mm. So you, you could be doing everything even without writing this and just writing pure cloud formation here. But of course, at that point, you are kind of losing the benefits of using serverless framework. So we are going to be using functions for everything that regards um, AWS Lambda functions, and this is going to make our life much easier to do that. But then for things like buckets, we are going to be using resources because I'm not aware if there is an easier way to do that in serverless framework. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you create a bucket, you you have one resource that creates a bucket. When you create a function with the serverless framework, you have a function which might have a configure a version um, as well. And then if you have an event trigger, you might have a lot of API gateway resources as well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes like five lines of YAML in serverless framework will actually generate 200 lines of uh, cloud formation with 15 or 20 different resources. And you can, maybe we can do that later on. You can run the serverless package command and we can see the generated output that cloud from, of cloud formation. And we can yeah, appreciate that we don't have to write it. That's a good idea. Let's do the bucket first. So the... Yep. Um, the idea is that this is the syntax where we can start to specify resources. So you can see that YAML is very nested. And for every year, it's basically an array of different resources. And every um, it's actually a key value pair where every item has a name. For instance, here we want to give it a name, I don't know, file bucket. And mm -hmm. then here we specify all the properties. And the properties are generally a type. And in this case, the type is, if I remember correctly, something like this. Yeah, autocomplete mm -hmm. is helping me. And then you generally have properties. And properties, they will be different depending on the type that you are using. In this case, they are properties that make sense in the context of an S3 bucket. So definitely, we're going to have something like bucket name. And here, this is interesting because we can call it some random name for now but in reality we really want to make it random so we will see how to do that in a second and then there are some uh, kind of best practices that we can use for instance generally when you do a bucket you want to make sure that it is encrypted so what we can do is do something like um, uh, bucket encryption and specify, oh, I like that. The autocomplete is doing all of this for me. But we can say something like server-side encryption by default. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And here, AES 2056. 
Now, if you search online, you are going to find the stuff. This is something that we looked up before. Mm-hmm. You don't need to remember by, by art all these things. But the idea is basically every file that is going to be in this bucket, it's automatically encrypted server side, and it's going to be using this particular algorithm. Yeah. So it's Where, not using KMS. It's not using exactly. KMS keys, which is the other option. So AWS is kind of managing all the keys for you. You don't need to worry too much about keys. If you want more control, you can use your own keys through KMS. And another yeah. thing is that we want to limit public access. So we can do uh, this one. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of properties that I'm actually checking in another tab. So I'm not going to pretend I'm remembering them by art. But basically, we want to public, <laughs> we want to block public ACL, which means if somebody's trying to make this bucket public, by mistake or whatever reason, this configuration is going to prevent that, right? Yeah. If I remember. I and always then, copy paste this too. There are yeah. four properties, right? And then this is very similar. Ignore public SEL, true. Like this is trying to prevent all the possible ways that this bucket could be made public. Uh, yeah. Do we need anything else? So, I think these are the best, these are the good security practices. You know, we've got a config rules that warn us when we create buckets that don't have encryption turned on and that are public or that can be made public. The other thing that I have recently started adding into all bucket declarations is to turn on event bridge notifications, which is a relatively new feature, mm-hmm. but it, um, it makes sense because that means you can start reacting to objects being added or removed from the bucket using event bridge. So you don't have to use some of the older methods like CloudTrail or S3 notifications, which were a lot more limited. So it's, it's definitely a good idea, I think, to add in event bridge notifications. So if you create a bucket in the AWS console, there's a checkbox for this. Uh, in CloudFormation, it's under the not- notification configuration property. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think we have an example for that if we just want to add it there. Yep. I'm just going to copy paste. Should be something like this. Now, for some reason, Visual Studio Code doesn't like this property, but I think it's Mm. correct. Because it's new, maybe. Okay. I've seen that Andrea has a question here. So he's asking the only, it's more of a comment, I guess. The only issue I found by putting a strip buckets in the serverless configuration is that when I needed to remove the stack for any reason and redeploy it, all the objects and the bucket were deleted. Mm. This is a very good point. And I think that there are ways to limit that behavior. For instance, there is definitely a way to make sure that the bucket is not deleted. I think it's called deletion policy. Yeah, this is a CloudFormation property that you can put on lots of different resources like DynamoDB tables as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not... It's not within the bucket policy itself, but it's actually at the higher level. So it's at the right. same, it's a sibling of properties itself. So we'll need to put it here. Yeah. Still doesn't so like it, it, but. It doesn't like it. Okay. I trust you that this is correct. Trust, but verify. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll verify what, what gets generated later. So one, one issue on that is CloudFormation won't delete objects from your bucket. So that if. If that has been, if people have seen that in the past, it might be because you're using some tooling that has, is deleting objects for you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it should not delete your bucket with objects. But um, what this does is it just makes sure that even if the bucket is empty, it won't be deleted when we delete the stack. Yeah. Okay, so at this point, what we can do is we can see what, what gets generated, right? So we can do SLS uh, package, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly, right? Yeah. Which is basically, it's not deploying, it's just bundling up everything. And mm -hmm. then we can see what would eventually get deployed if we proceed with that package. So it's kind of a preview in what's going to be produced for us. And we can see that there is a new folder here called .serverless. So if we go in there, we have a bunch of cloud formations and this server state JSON. Now, I think the one that is most interesting is this first, the first one, create stack. Where uh, the we... create stack, it's actually, yeah, the create stack is the one that creates the bucket that serverless framework is going to use to deploy its own assets. So okay. it's, all of your stuff is going to be in the update stack because it does this kind of two phase update on the first deployment and this is because serverless will need to upload certain assets to be able to, exactly. to proceed with the deploy so this is kind of a yeah bootstrapping thing it's a bootstrap yeah okay so this is the one we are actually interested in which looks almost identical because we have uh actually this one is the same right it's literally serverless deployment bucket it should I have the know. same bucket because it has to Make Reference sure that it keeps that, it keeps that bucket. Yeah. And now th then that's also their bucket, but it's yeah, just the policy, the bucket policies. policy. This is our file bucket. Yeah. Okay. It is actually adding this deletion policy retain type. Is that one properties? Now this some random name is something that we definitely need to change. And we'll talk about that in a second, but everything else seems to make sense. Yeah, okay. when we do this, when we have a function, it'll look a little, when we have a, a more complex function, it will look a lot more interesting. Now, why do we need to change this some random name? Because an interesting thing about S3 packets is that they have to have a unique name across every account and every region. So mm -hmm. if, we, if we try to use some random name, maybe we get lucky, meaning that nobody else ever used this one, but if somebody just tries to deploy the same stack as it is, they will bump into a conflict with whoever deployed first. So it's it's better to actually have a way to generate a random string straight away. Now, this is not something that you can do easily with just uh, CloudFormation itself. But because we are using serverless framework, serverless framework actually gives us ways to interpolate code, let's say, or code-generated strings into whatever is going to be the result in CloudFormation. So it's, it's kind of a template language at the same time. It's not just giving us an easier way to create some resources, but it also gives us more um, abilities in terms of how do we structure the um, infrastructure as code? How do we write infrastructure as code? We have more functionality in terms of string interpolation and things like that. So. Uh, if I remember correctly, it is possible to create a JavaScript file that actually executes some logic. And then the result yeah. of that logic is, is it can be a string. And then we can use that string in our template, in our serverless.yaml, right? Yeah, there's a specific function signature. And I'm going to link into the, the documentation in serverless.com, serverless framework documentation that 
tells you how to do this so you can mm -hmm. you can check that too so we can call this file i don't know unique target name.js actually it needs to be common js so we need to do cjs and uh, then basically what we do here module dot exports equal it can be an async function and basically whatever we return is going to be a variable that we can use in uh, in our own Ooh, it's trying to by the way i'm using copilot copilot is trying to suggest us something which it's not really what we want to do. No, this looks like a Lambda handler. Thanks exactly. for you're writing a Lambda function. But the idea is that we might be doing something like this. We might be doing, I don't know, bucket name and here something random. Yeah. And then we, we should be able to reference this bucket name. And before we implement all of that, let's try to wire things in and see if it's actually giving us something random in the final um, in the final cloud formation template. So here, what we want to do is basically, we can use, I think it's like this syntax, right? Mm -hmm. Do we need quotes? You don't need quotes for this. No, you just need okay. your, your And it's like file or something like that. Uh, let's yep. see if I remember. It's, it's, it's file, yeah. And then the, there's no colon actually at this point. So it's file and then parentheses. Right, okay. Yeah, I can check. I'm verifying all of this in the background. So don't worry, it's not all off the top of my head. Okay, and we can And then do, the path. Yeah, we call it unique bucket name.cjs, mm -hmm. uh, if I can type. And then at that point, it gives you back an object. Let's say like it kind of runs that file and gives you back an object. So we can just reference bucket name, which is one of the properties that we export from that file. Yeah. That's so it. now you just need to check the, the spelling of unique oh, there to yes. match the file name. Good catch. Unique. Now if we repackage all of that, it was very fast. So if we check here, now it is something random. So just to show that I'm not lying. If we change this to something random too, and we run this again, it should give us something different now. Yeah, something random too. Okay, so now the trick is that we'll need to generate something random that it is consistently random, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, a lot of times what you would do here is you don't necessarily have to do this JavaScript module approach. You can just put like an interpolated string using CloudFormation substitutions or serverless variables where you just add in your account ID and the region as a suffix mm -hmm. onto your bucket name. But for our application, since the URLs we generate will include the bucket name, we want to be a little bit more protective of our account name, maybe, and the name of our bucket um, or sorry, the account name and, you know, just make it a little bit more um, obtuse, I suppose. So we we just want to generate something from these variables rather than exposing our account ID in the bucket itself. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna copy paste a solution that we developed before, but basically the idea is that we could hash 
some information that we get for the current account, the region, and use that as a unique key. Because at that point, we are guaranteed that if you try to deploy the same thing in a different account or a different region, you will get a different bucket. But as long as you use the same account in the same region, you always get the same bucket name consistently. So you, you don't end up with a different bucket at every deployment, which is basically what we are trying to avoid. On one side, we want something pseudo-random. On the other side, it needs to be consistently the same value for the same account and region. So we can use the create ash function from Node.js. And then an interesting thing is that you could get some information here by the serverless framework. So serverless framework is going to run this code by passing certain things into it. And this result variable is a function that allows you to actually retrieve information from the current context. So for instance, we can get the current account like this. Then we could get the region. Yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Thank you, Copilot. And then we can get the stage. AWS stage. Actually, region is slightly different. I think we want provider dot region stage. I think it, I, no. I think it, you could do self provider dot region or you AWS colon region is a new variable right. in serverless version three that you can use directly. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Should we try region then? Yeah. Let's give it a go. So at least it's Andrea, Andrea has a very another useful comment actually about this particular topic. SLS print to display all the. Oh, that's a good one. Let's see. Yeah, we can try that. I doesn't like something. Stage. Yeah, we have AWS colon stage. That that should be SLS colon stage because that's a serverless specific. Right. Okay, yeah, now it's actually printing all our, like a preview of our yeah. CloudFormation without having to package. Yeah, that's a good yeah. thing. It resolves all the variables. It doesn't actually, it's not CloudFormation strictly because it still has the high level functions and stuff. Okay, so at this point, we still are returning something random too, but we have information that we can hash. So basically what we can do is say const input equal and we can do a string like we share and then account dash uh, region dash stage thank you copilot and at this point the bucket name we want to generate is basically um Let's see, what we can do is, we still want to retain a prefix, right? So let's say we share hash plus create hash, MD5, update, input. Yeah, that's exactly what I want, nice. So this is basically saying, take all the string, hash it using, using MD5, and then prepend this we share dash, whatever is the hash. Now at this point, we can just return this packet name. And if we do this again, we should get something slightly different. We share something, something, 
And because these values are not going to change, we should get the same bucket again. Make sense? Cool. Should we try to deploy all of this? This makes sense. Yeah. Let's deploy. Okay. We have now, some credentials set up. Do I have credentials? I think I did have credentials in another terminal. Let's see. Here, I don't think I have credentials. Here, I have my own credentials. So, uh, how do we do this? I, th I think I can deploy from here. I can, we can do SLS deploy, right? That's actually, let me make sure. Here, I have the right credentials. I do. That looks good to me. And now I can do just SLS deploy should be enough, right? We don't need any other option. Yep, that looks good. Okay, this is creating the CloudFormation stack. So this should just create our bucket and the, that default boilerplate Lambda function we have. So if we go into the AWS console, we should see that these resources are being created. Meanwhile, we have a question from Juan Lopez from YouTube saying the need for uniqueness across bucket name in S3 is something that I had to deal with in the past. I will not have expected that S3 bucket names needs to be unique across S3 and not only your account or region as well, I guess. Yeah. And I think the main reason for that is that because this is S3 is like one of the oldest services. So probably some of the thinking that happens now when AWS create a new service didn't happen at the time. And the other thing is that S3 creates domain names. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, the name of a bucket is kind of one-to-one -to, -one to the domain name that gets created. And also some of the rules for creating a bucket name are pretty much the same rules for a domain name, right? So I think that was the idea of the time and probably AWS now is stuck with that decision. Okay, so everything was deployed. I should be able to go into the account and show you that uh, we have the bucket deployed. Let me bring up another window. Okay, I have it here. Let me make this a little bit bigger. So I am filtering because in this account we have so many more buckets, but you can see that two buckets were created. This is the bucket created by um, serverless framework for dealing with the deployments. This is the one that we just created from our resource. Okay, so maybe nice. what I can do now is commit all these changes and pass it to you, Owen, for writing some Lambda code. Okay. Actually, uh, status, git add. Should I add the handler for now? Yeah, we will change it. Either add way is good. Serverless and bucket infrastructure as code. Okay, so whenever you're ready, feel free to share your screen. 
We also have Gil in the chat who is sending us a chicken. Hello, Gil. We also like okay. chickens. Yeah, one Lopez is sharing here, but do you need to stop sharing uh, the channel? Yes, I'll need to switch. Now you okay. have yours. Excellent. So let me pull down these latest changes. By the way, Andrea is asking if the episode will be available later. We'll definitely post it on YouTube. We are also considering yes. to, to add it as a audio only podcast. I don't know if it makes sense, but we're probably going to try that anyway. So yeah, definitely we'll make it available later in different ways. Hopefully we'll see you next time, Andrea. Thank you for all the yeah, questions and comments. Great tips. Okay, so we're we're about to set about creating a function. So if we go back to the architecture, maybe it's worth a quick look at that actually. We mentioned that we're going to create a function here that will create this kind of share that allows you to get a look at an upload URL and a download URL. So we're kind of in a restful sense, we're going to create a share object, but we don't create anything in the database. We're just going to talk to S3 here. So let's have a look at that. In serverless.yaml, we've got the existing function boilerplate. So let's try and um, take this and make something more of it. So let's say we're, we're going to give our function a name. Now this is, this is just a, a name that the serverless framework uses to identify our function. So let's just call it uh, create share because we're going to create a, a share um, resource. And we want this to be triggered by an API endpoint. So we're going to create an API endpoint. So our handler in, in our Lambda function code is going to be res responding to this event. So let's call this the handle. Let's just call it handle event. We might rename our handler to be a little bit more explicit. Let's call it share handler. And beyond that, we need to start wiring in the HTTP interfaces. So we've got a couple of ways of doing this. And there's a, within API Gateway, we've got the API Gateway REST API, which is the kind of traditional way of doing it. And now you have the kind of simpler and more cost-effective way of doing it, which is the HTTP API method. I know these things aren't particularly well named, but HTTP API is, is pretty simple. So let's go with that one. So we're saying that this function is going to be triggered by a, a number of events, because this is an array here we're creating. So this function can be triggered by more than one. We're just gonna restrict it to HTTP API events. So for that, we just need to give it the method. And since we're creating this share resource, then, this will be a HTTP post and we can give it a path. Maybe one thing that is worth clarifying for people that never used Lambda before is that Lambda is not like um, something that is always running, but it's just a function that is automatically triggered by AWS when a specific event happens. So what we are doing here is basically telling AWS the event that we want to use to trigger our Lambda is an HTTP event in particular, like a post request to a particular path. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely worth stating. We can give this a path and what we can do here is just give it the root path. And why we do this at the root, rather than creating like a specific path, like a share 
resource here. It will become more apparent when we look at introducing domain names and API later, APIs later, because we can create all of the functions and APIs relating to this type of resource all within this serverless project. And then we can map it to a domain name with a path. So we can actually apply the path later. Um, and this, this makes it much easier to do that. So that's our handler code. This is, this is a, a handler module we're going to have to write. And this is the event and that's it. We will need to add some permissions, but maybe we can come back to that. Um, because that's, um, maybe a little bit clearer just to write the handler code that will do the function that that will do the code that responds to the event. So let's, let's start creating that handler now. So since we renamed it, handler.js is not going to work anymore. So let's just rename this to share handler. Um, I must remember to use uh, no JS syntax rather than Python. Okay, so let's just rename this one. Okay, so we've got all sorts of horrors here like semicolons and common JS modules. So let's just nuke this and go from scratch. Um, so the, the syntax of our handler is we're going to create a function and this will be an async function with the syntax for uh, a Lambda function, which is that it, it takes an event and it also takes context. We will probably not use context, in fact, so we can admit it completely, but let's just leave it in there for clarity, maybe for now. And within this handler, we're going to do everything we need to create the get URL and the upload URL. So maybe we can just uh, think about the syntax of this. This is an arrow function. Oops. This is an arrow function, so I'll need an arrow. So we've got a, a few steps, right? So what are the things we need to do in order to interact with S3 and generate an upload URL and a retrieval URL? So we're using the concept of S3 pre-signed URLs, which are a really useful feature. And the beauty of that is that it allows us to offload all of the scalability for retrieving and uploading large files to S3 completely. So none of that file data ever has to actually go through any of the systems that we're building here. And that's really the goal because S3 is way better at handling the throughput and scalability that would be required if the system was to scale. Yeah, I guess another advantage to that is that signed URLs allow us to define certain like boundaries for which the file can be uploaded or downloaded. Now, I think for the first version, we're not going to worry too much, but in the future, we might use that, for instance, to limit the time that the file is going to be available, just, just as, as an example. But you can put other like boundaries, and they are just built in. You just need to configure specific properties. You don't need to implement additional code for that. Yeah. So just referring back to the diagram, then we're creating this function here, and We've already declared everything we need to do for the API Gateway endpoint. We've declared the post. We're just using the root um, path at the moment. And the next thing we need to do is then create pre-signed URLs. So let, maybe let's just uh, pseudocode this out or comment it out the steps we need to do. So when we think about it, if we want people to be able to up, upload an object, 
we need to have some sort of identifier for this file or object. So we should probably first create a, a key or a file or a file name. Um, then we'd want to uh, create a, an upload URL, and then we create the download URL. And finally, we'll return something like um, an, an object, right? So this is, this is an API gateway Lambda proxy, which means that API gateway is proxying to the Lambda service internally within AWS. So there's a specific contract that you have to obey here. That means when you return your response, it should have HTTP status code and if you want to return a body, it should also have a body and you can also return HTTP response headers. So in the um, status code, I guess what we want is a 201, right? Uh, because we're creating something and that's, that would indicate we've successfully created something. And then we're going to create a body. So this will be something with uh, download URL and upload URL. So let's let's go through this. So there's, we, we need to start using the um, AWS SDK because we're going to interact with S3. So let's set about that. In order to get this to work, we'll need to install a few modules. So Luciano, this is a good time to talk about the AWS SDK v3. I think we covered it, uh, covered it on the podcast actually um, a couple of months back. But it, it works quite a different way to the the one we're used to, the AWS SDK version two. Yeah, I think it's interesting to show how it works. Okay. Okay. Good. So these are the two modules that that we we researched and know we need to to use in order to um, interact with S three. So you have the everything is a separate module, the AWS SDK version three. Uh, that allows you to to bundle to have very small bundles of uh, of modules when you deploy. So we actually have two that uh, we can use here. We have the S3 one and we have the S3 request pre-signer one, which is a separate module just for doing pre-signing. And I'm installing those as dev dependencies. Actually, is that a good idea, Luciana? Or should we be installing these as top-level dependencies? I would probably consider these top-level dependencies because they need to be available when we run our code in production, right? Yeah, it's not it's not just true. something we use for building or for yeah. testing. Mm. And Lambda Lambda does provide the AWS SDK in the runtime, but if you want to be sure that you're pinning to a specific version that you've tested with, this is a good practice. Okay, yeah. so now that we've got that, let's um, let's set about importing these and 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 getting to use um, our S three client. Okay, so this the first thing we need to do is get our S three client. So the syntax for that is S three client. There's a there's a couple of ways you can use the AWS SDK version three. One of which is very similar to SDK version two, um, but the new kind of idiomatic way to do it with the version three client is with the command pattern. So if you want to be able to create, get an object from S3 or put an object, then you're basically 
sending a command, a get object command or put object command to the S3 service. So let's import the, the classes we need to do that from the S3 client module. Um, and even though we're not doing the upload or the download in this handler, we're, we're generating a pre-signed URL, but the pre-signed URL needs to know what is the command that this URL will ultimately fulfill. So that's the, that's the pattern we're following here. So let's just have a quick look. Maybe we'll do the, uh, the download URL first. Um, so maybe what we can do is just have a look at the, the syntax of the get object command. So let's say we create a, 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 this command, get object command. So we're creating a new instance of this get object command that needs the, the properties that get object command accepts, which is going to be a bucket. So we need to figure out what our bucket name is. I'm going to suggest that we take that from an environment variable, and then we're going to need a key. Uh, so the key is the, the path to this file. So we're missing a couple of things here. There's, we've got red lines all over the place. So what we need to do is make sure we import the environment variable. So we can take that from process.env. And the key is something we can generate. So let's figure out how we would generate that. I think it, it makes sense to use like a UUID, like you have version four UUID for that. And there's a new, you don't need to install a third party dependency for that anymore in Node.js, do you? Yeah, and I think since Node 14 or 16, I'm not sure. But yeah, you have now built-in functionality in the crypto module. Excellent. Can I ask you a question? Luciano, because I don't know the answer to this. I saw that I had two autocomplete options here. One was crypto and one was node crypto. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people use both, but I'm not sure what the difference is. Do you, to, to be honest, can clarify? yeah, node column crypto is uh, the recommended way, I would say right now, because the okay. idea is that the module resolution algorithm, the way that it does resolve a package, is by giving precedence to whatever you have in your node modules. So for mm. instance, if you install a third party module called crypto, mm. then you end up importing something that is not the node core crypto. So by doing node column crypto, mm. you are kind of explicitly saying, I want to use the node.js one. Like in reality, this is not a very common problem, but because it has been a problem and it will be very hard to, to debug otherwise, I think this is why we have now this new best practice where every time you are importing a mm. node core module, it's better to prefix it with node column. Okay. I, yeah, that makes sense. I guess this could be vulnerable. There could be a vulnerability if you have a spelling mistake in here, right? Yeah. Because then somebody could have published uh, some sort of supply chain attack thing to NPM. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good, really good to know. Yeah, okay, or so even if you, if you end up packaging a, a folder called crypto inside your node modules, whatever you have there is going to take mm. precedence. Yeah, yeah, okay, I like it. So let's let's generate a, a UUID. And the, from that, we can create a key. Now, we could just make the key to be the ID, 
But if we think about lots of uploads of hundreds, thousands, millions of files over time into the same bucket, it might not be a great user experience when you open the S3 console and you see everything in one prefix. Because S3, even though forward slashes in S3 don't really mean anything, there's no such thing as paths. They're more of a just a user-friendly way of browsing through files. The S3 console will use slashes as a, to, in, a, in the same way as you would see in a traditional file browser. So maybe it's a good idea. It's also, you know, there are cases if you have extremely high throughput on your bucket, that S3 will try to automatically partition the bucket based on prefixes. So it is good to make sure that the start of your keys have kind of an even distribution and that helps S3 to automatically partition the bucket for you so that you can get a throughput allocation per partition. So let's put everything into a, a shares prefix, but we'll use like the first two characters of our UUID to set, just give us some sort of sorting uh, or categorization. Yeah, remember this used, used to be very very common when uh, doing similar things with like network drives. Yeah. I think at the time there was also some, maybe depending on the file system, some performance benefit to that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think as a user, as you described the user experience, it makes a lot of sense to do the same thing here as well. Because, I mean, if we if we ever need to debug something where we know the UUID and we want to go in the S3 console to see the file, we know we need to click twice to see that file rather than scrolling across potentially millions of, of items. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got a key. Um that allows us to create the get command. And from that get command, we can create a, a URL. So this will allow us to create a retrieval URL for our users to use. So what we can do for that is the, we're gonna start using the pre-signed URL module that we already added into our node modules. There is a separate, so it's a separate module, we need to import that separately. So this is the AWS SDK S3 request pre-signer and the function we're going to use is called get signed URL. These um, are asynchronous functions. They're going to return a promise. So we'll await get signed URL and we need to pass in the command that we created. So the function, you can see the function signature here is we need an S3 client and we need a command. So let's pass in S3 client, our get command, and our properties. So the properties that are kind of important here are the expiry. So how, lo how long is this temporary pre-signed URL going to last for? So you want to make sure that it's long enough that people get to upload their content by the time you send it to them, but not so long that maybe somebody could grab it and intervene. So maybe we'll just create a constant at the top of, top of our file that gives us some sort of uh, um, default expiration. And I think maybe 24 hours seems like a good uh, a good value to start with. The, the value is in seconds. So 
that will allow us to have URLs that last for a day. Okay, so we, we don't have an S3 client. We can create one. Um, and that's fairly straightforward. We can just do that outside the handler because it can be reused for multiple Lambda function invocations. So all of this, all of the code that's outside the handler is going to get uh, evaluated when the function is loaded for the first time. So on the cold start phase of your Lambda, everything within the handler is going to be evaluated every time an event comes in. Okay, so now we've got a retrieval URL and the process for an upload URL is going to be very similar. So much so that I'm just going to copy paste and change everything to from get to put. So we'll need a put command, which will use the, the same bucket and key because we have to put it to that key before we get it. And let's change the name of this to upload URL. And that will use the put command. Okay, so I think it's, now we have everything we need to give our users. I think it's also interesting that you can specify two different expiries for the upload and download. Mm -hmm. Maybe you would want in real life the upload window to be very small, while the download can be even a week, I suppose, right? That's a good idea. Yeah. Like but that. for now, it makes sense to keep it the same because yeah, we, we can optimize it later. Okay. Now, since this is our MVP and we don't have a command line interface, we don't have a web interface, we're giving our poor users two really ugly URLs. It probably makes sense that we don't return any JSON here. We can just return some instructions and the two URLs that they can use. So we know that they could use something like curl as a command line interface to upload and download their files. So maybe we can just give those instructions in the output. So the upload would be curl. And with curl, we can do minus x put because this is a put command to upload. So we need to specify the put method, put HTTP method. And then they, they can specify the file name and the and the upload URL. So that's the up that's the upload instruction for the user. And we can say download with curl download URL. Uh, I didn't call it download URL, did I? I called it retrieval URL. Yeah, good okay. catch. <laughs> okay. So I think we have a function. So we, we can need, export that. Yeah, we need to export. Yep. Okay. Um, actually, the yeah. Yeah, generally prefer to just say export function at the top and not even use the, the other function. I think the, um, yeah, I'm thinking ahead to one of the ideas we have to improve this, which is to use MIDI. And in that case, we'll, we'll do it in two separate steps. Mm -hmm. But okay, this is good. And there's a couple of things we added here. So we added some interactions with S3, which means we're going to need permissions. We also added an environment variable usage. 
So before this is going to work, we need to go back to our serverless.yaml and do some. Also, before we forget, I think we also need to specify type modules inside the package JSON of the backend. Ooh. Because I think this is what uh, AWS will see. AWS is not going to see the, the top one we have created. Okay. Good call. So it's, it looks like that. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's add some environment variables. So we've got, um, we could do this per function, but I think since everything is going to be centered around this bucket, we can do this globally. So it will be applied to all functions. And we want to say that every function will receive an environment variable called bucket name. So in order to pick up that bucket name, it has to use the variable that Luciano created with that clever, unique bucket name. But we can also use the CloudFormation syntax to retrieve the name of the bucket. So the shorthand for that is, looks like this, ref file bucket. And if you look in the CloudFormation documentation for AWS S3 bucket, it will tell you that every CloudFormation resource outputs a reference. And for buckets, that reference is the bucket name. It's not consistent across all the different resources. Sometimes it's an ARN or something else. For buckets, we know this is a way to get the bucket name. So that, that should work nicely. I think for and buckets, then, it kind of makes sense because it's guaranteed to be unique anyway. Like yeah. an ARN is always unique. A bucket name is always unique as well. Again, it's mm. not consistent, but if you think mm. about uniqueness, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Now, when we are adding in IAM permissions, the way I like to do it is using the IAM roles per function serverless plugin. So let's add in this plugin into our configuration here. So the way to do that, there is a serverless native way to do that, but I'd like to just do it explicitly with NPM. So we'll do NPM install, and this is a development dependency, and the name of the plugin is serverless IAM roles per function. And this allows you to kind of honor the principle of least privilege by having a separate set of IAM policy statements for every single function. So at the top of our serverless.yaml, then we need to declare a plugins array and we just add in the module we've installed. So this is a plugin that's going to get hooked into the lifecycle when serverless, when we run serverless package or serverless deploy, and it will pick up the IAM policy statements for each individual function. So let's start writing this then. So the syntax is to declare IAM role statements inside the function instead of at the provider level. And then we need to start creating some statements for an IAM role for this function. So this is the set of, this is the policy that the function will, will run with. So every time an event comes in on the API, the execution of that Lambda function, all the code within it will be run within this, uh, this role. So we want to allow, we need to allow the permissions that we're giving the signed URLs because we're using the get object command, the put object command, we need permissions to do those things. So the actions we want are S3 get object and S3 put object. 
and we'll try to be as specific as we possibly can be for this MVP. Um, oops. So what we can do here is we want, essentially want to, for the resource identifier should be the ARN of the bucket with the prefix attached to it. So it's going to be something like ARN AWS S3. You don't need to specify the account or the region because those things are, you know, as Luciano said, it's, it's globally unique. Then we'll need here the bucket name. So that's a placeholder for now. And then the path, which is shares. We set everything with go in shares. After that, it's pretty much random. So we need a wildcard. And we can also make use of another CloudFormation intrinsic function with the shorthand syntax sub. And this is basically saying to CloudFormation, substitute variables inside that with some resolved value. So instead of bucket name, we can just put in file bucket. And CloudFormation is going to take the reference of that file bucket, which is the bucket name, and pop it in here in its place. So yeah, that should thing, be enough. Yep. One thing that is worth mentioning, I don't know if we made that very clear, and again, this is more for people that are trying to, to do AWS for the first time, that in AWS, everything is, by default, it's like blacklisted, like you cannot do anything. So if yeah. we were not adding this policy here, what would happen at runtime? is that our Lambda will fail as soon as it's going to try to do a get object or a put object operation because it doesn't have permission to do that. Now that we added this policy, what's going to happen is that the Lambda is going to run in a context where we authorized the, the, the action of get object and put object only in those specific resources that match this particular expression here. So everything inside our bucket that starts with shares and then whatever the file name. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the other action we'll need is well, we don't need it actually. Um, I was just thinking you could also add a list bucket permission. Um, whether we do it or not, it it doesn't really make a massive difference for this application. But you could also allow there, allow users to list the bucket. Why would you allow, why would you need a Lambda function that only gets or puts permissions to list bucket? Uh, the advantage of that, and we just use the ARN directly like this. The advantage of that is it means that if you try to get an object that doesn't exist, it will give you a 404 instead of a 403 error. So it'll give you a not found response instead of a, um, of a permissions error. Because if you don't have permissions to list bucket, then it's not going to tell you whether the object can't be retrieved because it doesn't exist or because you don't have permissions to read it. And I think that's everything we need. Luciano, have I missed anything? Or are we ready to give this a whirl and try and deploy it? I think we can try deploying it and see if it works. Okay, exciting times. So let's do this. So I'm going to run serverless deploy within the backend folder. Maybe I'll give it a, a, just a, some trepidation here. I'm just going to try package. Aha, uh -huh. we already have a validation error because it says I put in the word event. And I think what I need there is events. 
plural. It's good that we get this kind of uh, validation from serverless. Yeah. This would this have been tricky to, to debug otherwise. Yeah. And it's it's pretty new. It's only around the last year, I think. So this this uh, validation has been there, but it's really good. Okay, so it says it's been packaged. Let's have a quick look at our generated cloud formation. Uh, okay, so now we can see that serverless framework is starting to really take over and do a lot of work here, like creating a cloud formation log group, or sorry, a CloudWatch logs group, log group for us. It's creating our role. So let's have a look at that. The role can then be assumed by Lambda, which is important. It has permissions to create logs. Um, yeah, one thing that I would like to mention there is that this is where we oh, see yeah. the, the advantage of serverless framework. Because if mm -hmm. we were doing the same thing with uh, something like, I don't know, Terraform or CloudFormation directly, you don't get anything for free. Like you really need to know, okay, to create a Lambda, I need to create a role. Then I need to create a log group, which yeah. are things that you always do all the time because they are required for the Lambda to run. So with serverless framework, we are actually getting all the stuff being created for us for free using best practices rather than having to copy paste all the stuff every time. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I, while, while we're on the, on this topic, actually, one of the points that Juan has uh, mentioned on the YouTube chat is what is the best way to test locally? And it's probably almost something that could be an episode in its own <laughs> right. Um, you can run the, you can definitely test these. Like, I think you need maybe to, to, to cover this topic very briefly, you can test using, you need to write unit tests anyway to test your handlers and to test the code within those handlers. We've done it in a fairly simple way because we've got a very simple function today. Um, but you can also use, now with AWS SDK version three, you can also use their mocks. Um, you can, with because we're using serverless framework, you can use a local simulation of the API gateway and Lambda in order to test things a little bit more end to end before you deploy. But you really, once once you've tested your code, unit tested your code, um, you want to get it into AWS and test on AWS as quickly as possible, and then start doing things like integration tests and end-to-end -end tests for a real-world application. Because the, the local simulations can be very useful from time to time, but there's always a, a point at which there are limitations you can't overcome. Yeah, for instance, yeah, that for instance, here you start to bump into this kind of philosophical questions. Okay, if I run things locally, should I test against the real S3 or should I simulate S3 as well locally? And there are ways to simulate S3 locally, but as Owen said, like the degree of fidelity might vary depending on what kind of features we are going to use. Mm. So for simple use cases, maybe everything works as expected. For as mm -hmm. soon as you start to use more advanced features, you might start to bump into discrepancies and you might have this kind of false sense of security because everything works locally. Then you test it remotely and you bump into issues. Another thing that is also very interesting is permissions. When you test things locally, you end up using the permissions that you have as a user most of the time, depending on which tool do you use. But most of the time, all these tools, they will use your own like local credentials. And generally, you have very broad credentials as an admin, right? Because when you are deploying, you need 
a large set of credentials. So you simulate your code with this large set of credentials and you don't realize that you haven't specified your policies correctly. So yeah, that, that's another use case that I've seen a lot. People test it locally, everything works, then deploy, run it for the first time and they have a permission error and they have to revisit their own permissions. So it's, I think it's still a very open debate whether you should try everything you can to test locally or whether you should go as fast as possible to a real AWS environment and test it there. Probably mm -hmm. there is some kind of middle ground that gives you benefits. But yeah, for, for this simple use case, I think it's just easier to try to deploy remotely and see if it works that way. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to, to disagree with our opinion if you know better <laughs> ways of, of testing this locally. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we can see in the generated cloud formation then we've got the API gateway resources um including the integration routes um and then we can see actually the specific policy that's been generated so this is this is the one that's been generated by the iam roles per function plugin and it's got our as well as permissions to create logs it's got the get object and put object and this bucket so i think let's go ahead and try and deploy this because uh we need to allow some time in case we've uh We've um, made any further typos or mistakes in the code. Okay, so this is deploying to CloudFormation now. Let's have a flick into the CloudFormation console where we can see the stack. This is from the time Luciano created it previously. We should see that it's doing an update. Um, I don't see it update yet. It says creating CloudFormation stack slightly concerning i would have expected it hopefully to. you are not deploying to another account let's see it could be i don't think so but uh let me check here because i think i have uh yeah this is the this is the right account here so maybe what i can do i have yeah I'm just going to pause this other one here and check if that was the same account. Yeah, it's the same account. Maybe a different region, but that shouldn't be the case because we are coded it in our serverless framework. It shouldn't be the case. So the account is the same. What did we change? Did I change the name of the stack or something inadvertently? But I don't see any other stack being deployed here either. Are we using the same account? Ooh, good question. Let me check. We are. We are. Because I said this is definitely from your deployment, right? Yes. This is the right time. Let me give it a full browser refresh for good luck. This is where we show the, the joys of debugging on AWS. Wow. Well, it has deployed somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me check this uh, identity again. I mean, it makes sense. This is the right account.
yeah, this looks good. So the question is, what's the region? Um, but I'm actually using credentials that have a region variables here. We've got AWS region, we've got AWS default region, just for good measure. And we have the region defined in the, the serverless stack. So that's EU best one, and I haven't changed. It's WeShare backend. So the deployments, deployed stack name should indeed be WeShare backend dev. Um, this is really interesting. I'm going to give it one more go, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a new um, terminal, a new session in my, um, in my, I'm going to create a new session in my terminal and I'm going to set up some new credentials. So I'll stop screen sharing for the risk of inadvertently leaking any credentials. I can already see what the problem is here. Okay. When I'm looking at my credentials, do you, do you want to try and guess what it is? Or maybe somebody in the chat can guess what it is. Did we deploy to the wrong account? Or? I I deployed to the wrong account just now. Yeah. So I have a I had so one of the we're using AWS SSO, SSO right? So we use SSO to get credentials for our accounts. And serverless framework doesn't support SSO credentials yet properly. There is an issue on it in their GitHub. And unfortunately, the latest response I saw on that issue is that we're not going to fix it anytime soon. But one of the workarounds you have to do then is use some kind of tool that takes your SSO credentials and converts them into like credentials on your file system or environment variables. And I'm using the approach that um, uses environment variables. And I can actually show you what that is. So I think this will work a lot better. I'm just going to share my screen again because I think we're past the point of um, worrying about leaking credentials. So this is the command I use. So Ben Kehoe from iRobot wrote a, a couple of really useful utilities around SSO. One of them is AWS ex export credentials. And then I can specify my SSO profile and it will convert this into a set of um, environment variables that I can use. So when I call get caller identity, it would, when I did that previously, it was using my SSO credentials. But I also had an AWS profile environment variable set. So I actually had environment variables for two different profiles set up. And I don't know how I managed that in this account. They were both my accounts. Um, but that, I think what SL serverless framework did was it picked up AWS profile and used that instead of the other variables. So let's go back to our deployment. By the and way, if, you are, if you're curious about these topics, we have an entire episode dedicated to credentials and I'm going to post the link here in the YouTube chat. Yep. Now we can see your stack is being updated, Luciano. Okay, so we can we can actually see the events occur. So it's created creating the HTTP API resources, it's creating the log group and it'll be creating the function as well. 
So at the end of this, we'll be able to take a file, upload it to S3. I'll be able to share it with you, Luciano, or anyone else, and they'll be able to download it. And that could be, you know, already this is this is an MVP. We've got ugly URLs, but already this is useful. If you want to share it from transferred from one laptop to another, from your mobile to laptop, vice versa, you could use this service as it is and use it as your own personal file to share, share it with your friends. Now there's a couple of restrictions, right? We've got some security issues here because anyone who gets that URL, um, and, and in fact, anyone who gets the upload URL, in fact, the, the API gateway URL can start creating upload URLs and putting files onto our bucket, right? Which isn't great. They could certainly do a denial of wallet attack if they wanted to by just continually uploading large, ob large objects. Uh, and also retrieving them because that's where you really pay because you have your data retrieval costs out of AWS. So the next thing we're going to do is start figuring out how to protect that and lock it down a little bit more. Okay, so this has been deployed and now we've got an upload URL. Or sorry, we've got an API URL. So we can start um, invoking our post URI, creating a share and seeing what response we get back. So let's say. Uh, Clear for this. So let's create a post to our API endpoint. Aha. Internal Something server. went wrong. What went wrong? Let's, okay. let's give it a go. Okay, so this is our log group. We've seen you've got a log stream here. And we, it says we can't find package AWS SDK client S3. Which in fact, if you look at the function code, there is no node modules. I'm not really sure why that's the case. Do we need to specify something in serverless framework V3 to include dependencies? It's a good question, but what I... I think the what we've got here is, I guess if we look, we've got no no modules here. I'm just thinking about npm workspaces. This has bitten me before. So if we look at the parent node modules, I guess we've oh, yeah, got AWS, yeah, AWS um, SDK. Ooh, client S3 is in there. So I'm wondering if it's failing to pick that up. But we've did this before, right? We've we we have checked that this will work in advance, and we didn't come across this problem. So I'm just can wondering you, now. Yeah, can you try doing npm install inside the backend folder? Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think it's going to change anything. But I'm happy to be wrong. So we still don't have a node modules here. Did you try npm install already? I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't see that command. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. So would it be okay if I just uh, disable workspaces yep. because we've only got a single workspace and see if this goes away? And maybe yeah, then this is this is like a, a bit of homework we can do for the next time to that's figure out how one. this. Maybe there is a plugin for serverless framework to basically use the workspace definition. Yeah. That would be that would be good. So okay, let's let's try that. So I think what we have to do then is edit the root package.json 
and remove this basically remove the workspaces mm -hmm. property okay so if i do that and i go back to the shell and i do npm install now within backend does it realize that it has its own yeah world it does okay so now i've got node modules and let's just check that i've got aws Ooh. maybe my problem is here ah oh maybe we added them okay. at the top level interesting this is a known problem not a node problem okay so let's put workspaces back <laughs> i added it at the top level instead of the root level so let's go back to our npm install add them into backend i'm guessing yeah that's gone now because we've got workspaces back if i go back to the root yeah i added them in here mm. so we could probably remove them from there yeah which is npm uninstall uh, right or rm i think as well rm okay okay they're gone from there um they're in here now as primary dependencies. So the AWS SDK version three, right? What I'm seeing from this, the other learning I'm getting here is that the version three SDK is not packaged with the Lambda runtime, mm -hmm. even with the version, the node 16 latest runtime. As far as I remember, there is a discrepancy depending on whether you use uh, um, CommonJS or uh, ESM modules. Oh. I think if you use CommonJS, you might have some version package there but mm. your mileage might vary because it's not necessarily guaranteed to be the latest version or any specific version you might get whatever is the current version in the lambda runtime okay so it's always okay. best to package your own dependencies at least you are guaranteed that you get whatever you you are requesting right yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah it's just something you should be i guess more more conscious of now than we used to be with version two okay so what we can also do actually is we can use an npx sls package and inside the serverless directory you have the full backend uploaded now the file size looks a little small so let's have a look at the yeah. contents of this zip i'm actually looking at the uh, files uploaded in the Lambda, and we have an odd modules folder, but it's empty. So it's mm -hmm. interesting. So I think we're still going to have some problems there. Okay. Can I go back to um, removing workspaces? I think point? so, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's do another inst uh, npm install. I like that it works even with a typo. With a typo, yeah. Any any substring, any any prefix will do. Okay, so in node modules now it looks like we have something a bit more expected. So let's run one more. Let's just do the package command because that's really quick. Okay, and we'll do our unzip again. Ah, uh, yeah. Now we've got a lot more going on. All right, I'm getting um, more confident that this is going to work. 
I also like that we did everything we could to avoid to bring that UUID dependency, and somehow it's there anyway. I, I'm going to guess it's a dependency of the AWS SDK. Also, we have Will in the chat saying that AWS SDK version two is included in this common JS mm -hmm. runtime. So okay. you don't get the version three. Thank you, Will, for the clarification. Okay, that's right. So does, it, does that mean you get the AWS SDK version three if you use common JS or, or not? You just, you only get the AWS SDK version you two. You get the AWS SDK version two, as far as I understand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's give uh, another go to our command. So we're going to curl minus x post to this, and hopefully we'll get back a couple of URLs. Let's see. Not no such joy. Okay. Ah. Okay. I've done a. I've given a Python syntax in our. In our handler. Snake case is no good here. So I, I think it was handle event, but let's just verify that here. Nope, it's called handler. So I think I prefer to give it a verb. Yeah. Then a, a noun. So let's stick with handle event. Yeah, it's always weird when you see handler.handler. It's not very clear what that means. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, so in a couple of seconds, we should have uh, all that resolved. And if, like with a proper project structure here, we might have a, we would have a subdirectory for our handlers and then separate directories for the logic that occurs within these handlers and probably not avoid having having all of our modules at the root with all of the code and the, the Lambda handler itself. Will is also clarifying that uh, the SDK version 3 is not included in any runtime, Node.js mm -hmm. runtime, but hopefully will be Node.js 18. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I was I was wondering if the reason not to include it was just to keep the runtime light and to like reduce cold start time. By Because I suppose what the advantage of the version 3 SDK is that they're modular and you don't have to bundle mm -hmm. them all. So that's interesting. I guess... Having it in the runtime is good for people who are using, you know, Cloud9 or the inbuilt Lambda console editor to try something fairly basic because you don't have to worry about packaging modules there. Mm. Okay. We are... Nice. Okay. We've got our first URL. So now we've got... Um, an upload URL and our download URL. So let me, I did promise that the URLs weren't going to be pretty. I think I've lived up to that promise. So let's, let's put something up on S3. Let's upload something to WeShare. So what will I use? Let's say. Let's use our diagram from the repository. Yeah. What is it called? Oh, it's in the, um, in the directory. Yeah. 
and it's called mvp-diag.png. Okay. Okay. That looks to have succeeded. So let me just go back to the download URL. this is going to work for me my scrolling and pasting in my terminal this might might be a slight gotcha for this demo but let's see how we get on well i can confirm that i see something in a stream oh yeah okay this is good yeah i have a problem here with this url so let me do it a slightly different way it's going to i bring can show very quickly that here we have this file in s3 nice okay let me do this again. MVP PNG. What did I miss? MVN, MVP, MVN. It's like a hangover from my days of using Maven. <laughs> Excellent. Let's give our um, upload, download URL a go. So I'm going to do curl minus V just so we can see like things like the response headers and can stuff. Can you zoom a little bit your font? Yeah. Actually, let's just um, let's just paste this into the browser. So this is the download URL. I don't need the curl command. Okay. So now I've got uh, a file with a not too obvious name in my downloads folder. So let me do it. Let me uh, open up my downloads folder so everyone can see. And I guess I'm going to have to rename this to .png. And let's open it up. And we have our architecture diagram. Awesome. That's so a, this is success for MVP. I think so. <laughs> Excellent. Let's have a quick check of what we added since the last commit. And I'm going to commit the add handler to generate upload and download URLs. And push that and everybody can have a go, can deploy it to their own um, environments. And what I'm going to do before we wrap up is I'm just going to remove this stack because I don't want us to be DDoSed mm -hmm. in our bucket. <laughs> yeah, because everyone saw the, the URL for uploading, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we've got a few surprise objects, but we better not share them publicly. Yeah, absolutely. I think just to wrap things up, uh, of course, we did a very simple implementation, like the bare minimum that you could possibly do to get this working. There are a few things that would be nice to do, and maybe something we can consider for the next episode. For instance, one thing that we saw is that when you were downloading the file, you 
totally lost the file name, the extension. So you needed to figure out, oh, this is a PNG, let me rename it and open it. There are actually ways that we could retain the mime type and the file mm -hmm. name. So we yeah. could implement all of that in the next version. And then other things we could be doing are making this a little bit more production ready. For instance, by adding proper logging metrics and stuff like that, we could be using something like MIDI to yeah. implement all these features. We could be using power tools, power tools as well. Yeah. So maybe in the next session, we, we, we try to do all of this. But by any means, if you have other ideas or specific questions, feel free to ask, and we'll try to, to tackle those questions in the next episode, which probably is going to be next week, more or less, same day, same time. But just stay tuned on YouTube and our social media channels, because as soon as we have all of that scheduled, we are going to announce it. Yeah, look forward to it. It was good to get all that set up done, because it was... There's quite a bit, quite a few small pieces there at the start before we got to actually writing the code. Um, I think it's going to be interesting next week. We should be able to plow ahead with making this a little bit more user friendly. I don't like the look of those URLs. Just as a reminder in the chat, I'm going to be posting our repository. Mm -hmm. And I think this is all we have for today. So hopefully you enjoyed all of that and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.